0: welcome back to the head right out podcast this is the show that hopefully will launch you into doing something that is way beyond your comfort zone something that you never believed you were capable of doing perhaps there's just a little seed of an idea growing and hopefully this is going to be the show that will spur you on that will give you the encouragement that you need to head right out Now, today I have a lovely, lovely guest, somebody who I have been friends with online for many years. Her name is Steffi Boone. And I have to say, she is so honest in her conversation with me, particularly about her experiences with mental health. So I should add here that we do talk about the darker side of depression, anxiety and feelings of suicide. So, If you are not in the right frame of mind to listen, please feel free to skip this episode for another day when you're feeling in a better place. That said, Steffi is still very keen for women who suffer with depression to hear her story and understand that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There are ways of coping and learning to manage this debilitating illness. We also touch on early menopause and living with a son with Asperger's and how above everything else, hiking just fuels our souls and challenges well they help us to push us out of our comfort zone and they help to give us focus there's a lot of things that steffi and i have in common and in addition to we both love hiking we both feel the same about challenges and funnily enough we both have a degree in fine art in fact Steffi's got postgrad in fine art so we've just have very similar viewpoints it's a wonderful conversation go and have a listen enjoy Hey, and welcome, everybody, back to the Head Right Out podcast. My name is Zoe Langley-Watson, and I am here today with another wonderful guest. Today, I am going to be chatting to Steffi Boone, and I have a, a wee bio here to read out for you. So, Steffi lives in Cornwall. She spends a lot of time on the coast path. Woman after my own heart. She's been a walker and backpacker for as long as she can remember. One of her most significant past challenges was to hike the Inca Trail before her 40th birthday. She made it at 38. It was a charity trek and the biggest part of the challenge was the fundraising. Nowadays, she solo hikes and wild camps in the UK. At the moment, her goal is to backpack all the national trails before she reaches 60. So far, she's completed the South West Coast Path, Dyke Path, the Cotswold Way the South Downs Way, the Pedder's Way, and Norfolk Coast Path. And she says she's gradually working her way south to north. Steffi has an MA in fine art and always takes a sketchbook with her on her hikes. She plans to make a series of national trail paintings and possibly sell or publish them. Steffi shares her expertise and guides over on her website and on her blog, 10 Mile Hike. She also suffers with serious episodes of depression, which was first treated for her in her early 20s. She's very open about this on her social media and within her blog, and she hopes that by sharing her experiences, she may inspire others to overcome personal difficulties and step out of their comfort zones. After all, life is just too precious not to do the things you've always wanted to do. There's also an article over on the 10 Mile Hike blog called Fears Laid There, and I'll put the link to that in the show notes it really does bear all, particularly about the biggest challenge that Steffi is facing at the moment that she says is literally scaring the living daylights out of her. And that's something we'll come to in a moment. Steffi, welcome to Head Right Out.
1: Hi Zoe and thank you so much for having me oh, chatting it's- to you. It's a
0: real pleasure. It is an absolute pleasure and delight for me too and I should let the listeners know that we have been friends on social media for how long? Probably four or five years maybe? Yeah, long time. It feels (laughs) like a long time and we feel like we know each other so well. We've had lots of conversations back and forth and lots of support for one another and lots of (laughs) insta-love. Yeah, definitely. And and now this is the first time that we've actually spoken. I want to say face to face. This is as close as face to face as we're going to get at the moment. It's Zoom to Zoom. Yeah, <laughs>
1: live. I think is what live. we could call it. Yes. Live? Yes. In real can. time.
0: So Steffi, where did it all start with your love for hiking? You know, you're you're setting out to cover all of these trails, but have you been hiking from a really early age? Actually, this is quite interesting. I was 16 when I went
1: on my first backpacking trip with a couple of school friends and we went to the South Downs Way and it was just a few days and we were just wandering around as teenagers do, completely clueless, (laughs) just having as much fun as possible. But then earlier this year, I realized it was 40 years (laughs) since my first backpacking trip. And I decided to celebrate that by going back to the South Downs. And I walked the South Downs way, which is part of what I walked when I was a teenager so and I decided I'd stay at one of the youth hostels that we'd stayed at when I was young as though so it was just a bit of a anniversary an anniversary, <laughs> and <laughs> an <trip>. anniversary hike
0: <laughs> <laughs> and a trip down memory lane too
1: Yes, yeah. It was really funny, actually, because my memories of that trip was bright sunshine and hot and beautiful scenery. And this time it just rained and there was like really storms, big winds, 40, 50 mile an hour winds. So very
0: different experience. but That's, that's interesting, isn't it? Because very often when people are recounting their stories from their teenage hiking experiences or camping experiences very often it's the other way around you know they had awful time and their (laughs) feet hurt they had blisters and rained like the devil and they swore they would never ever do it again (laughs) and how dare they whoever they was you know perhaps it was parents or school how dare they make me do this (laughs) but you had an amazing experience by the sounds of it
1: It was. I always have really good memories of it. Just getting out into the countryside, just seeing these amazing views that I'd never experienced before. And just feeling completely at home, really, that that was realising, I think, that I was most at home in the outdoors and Mm. walking, cycling, whatever it might be.
0: Yeah. I could relate to that at home in the outdoors, definitely. So, how long was it before you then went off and did another hike?
1: Oh, probably quite a long time, years, I would think. I did a cycling, bike packing trip afterwards, which again, wasn't particularly far. I think it was about a week, something like that, again, along the South Coast, all along the Seven Sisters. Then I went to art school and most of the walks that I was doing at then really were around the coast path and still cycling, but no major goals, I suppose. And that everything else seemed to be, my focus was very much art at the time. That was just my absolute passion, I think, was art. But I was still drawing the landscape, walking in the, and drawing, you know, taking everything with me and drawing outside. Then we did the usual holidays, walking holidays, just in this country, Lake District mostly. Then I had my son, and it became family camping holidays on Exmoor, wild camping on Dartmoor. And I think the first time I went solo wild camping was probably 12 years ago now, and I haven't looked back since, and that's when... Hiking became a a thing I felt I needed to do.
0: So in some ways then, although you had met and identified with hiking a long time ago, would it be correct to say that you didn't really feel the need for it, that you didn't identify with it as something that made you feel better in your life until midlife?
1: I think I did realise that, but I don't think I realised that it could give me the challenges that it does and it's the challenge that i thrive on now i think previously it was major enjoyment you know about being outside and just loving nature and knowing that when i was feeling ill that was where most people might think you retreat inside but i retreated outside mm. <laughs> it's just where i felt the need to be and i've always escaped to the outdoors on my own it was my way of just being allowing myself to just be but it wasn't I think until I started really while camping on my own that I saw that I could create these challenges which Mm. is what excites me now and how you can overcome personal Difficulties, it's a wonderful place to step outside your comfort zone and to show it's a really odd phrase, but to prove to yourself what you're made of really and what you can do. And it's funny, I've never I've never thought of myself as a resilient person at all. I've never felt that I bounced back from things particularly quickly. But I realized over the years I'm actually a very tenacious person and I will hang on and push myself through when things are very difficult, whether that's hiking or life in general. I feel the need to just grip hard onto things and just a sheer determination
0: will get me through difficult things. So wonderful to hear you talking like that, Steffi, because I actually hearing a lot of what you're saying, I feel it could be me talking. There there (laughs) are so many things there that I connect with, Um, in particular, the needing a challenge. I mean, I didn't discover until I was 40 that it was actually the challenge that I thrive on. So going off long distance walking, facing some of those things that are perhaps out of my comfort zone. And that I had perhaps avoided previously, suddenly it's like, oh, gosh, this is this is what I need. I love being outdoors. But the challenge is definitely what I need. And it sounds like, yes, that is it for you, too. It's fabulous. I think when I
1: hiked the Inca Trail... I'd run a business for 14 years and we made handmade, handmade, hand-painted kitchens and furniture. So time was very precious. You had very little free time. And I was just determined that before the age of 40, I was going to do something that was challenging and was something I'd always dreamed of doing, which was trekking or hiking in an environment that I had never been in before. And I think when I did that, and the physical challenges are, are they're huge, you know, hiking at altitude that you're not used to people dropping like flies from altitude sickness. And that's really, it's not something that you can predict, you either get it, or you don't. It's just one of those things that's got nothing to do with Fitness or health. And I was lucky I didn't have that. So I did plod along up these really high passes and the feeling of euphoria that you have. When you get to the top and you look down and you think, I've done that, I've walked that. And that was the realization, I think, that it's actually the challenge that I love. But it took a while then, I think, to find other challenges because Mm. of other life difficulties. You know, I had a long-term relationship, just fell apart. I was with my son's father for 23 years. And then after the business collapsed, then we collapsed. And I think it just took a long time to find who I was amongst all that. Fairly negative, extremely stressful part of life and yeah I feel like I've come out of all of that on the other side but there are lots of other challenges and that's due to health and finances basically and
0: Yeah, well, there's there's a lot in there that I like to just tease into. Yeah, it's okay, all of those things that you go through as well in life, particularly that relationship split. I can totally relate to that because that happened to me some years ago, and at the time I was just in the wilderness and didn't know exactly, didn't know where I was going, who I was, what I was going to do, and yeah. I just felt like my whole world had fallen apart, and that was a long term relationship too. But I think now in hindsight, I can see how I've learned from it, how I've benefited from it, and how each of those painful episodes have just added to my colourful tapestry of life. And I I, I talk about life as being like a tapestry, and, and it's a bit floppy to begin with because we don't have many skeins of thread in that tapestry, but the more skeins of thread that are added the stronger it becomes and the more resilient we become and it just builds up our coping mechanisms and our ability to be able to manage a situation next time it might not be a similar situation but I think it just builds us and it also Mm. makes us more aware of other people's situations it gives us more empathy which I think is also important as as people you know we obviously need that. It's interesting. So you've, you've talked about going through some difficult times, mm. and then finding things that would help you finding yourself finding challenge. Yeah. But yeah. you talk about fears, things that scare you on your blog. Yeah. And I'd like to tease back into yeah. that in relation to what you've just been talking about. How have those fears affected you? And would you like to talk to us about what those fears are?
1: Yeah, when you suffer from regular bouts of long periods of depression and feeling suicidal, um I've had significant periods of my life where I've been in the mental health system with CPNs for years and years and One of the things that being in that situation is that it's very difficult to have a regular income because there are periods where you can't work. I haven't worked for a very long time because of illness and because of another issue that I have, which this is something I don't talk about a great deal, but my son has Asperger's and it affects him mostly with really high anxiety and that puts constraints on what I can do. I spend a lot of time anxious about him. I spend an awful lot of time being anxious about money and finances and I am living on the bare minimum. Basically, you cannot save at all. So I have this little pot of savings and I've been keeping it as an emergency fund. But it's really strange because this money is tiny. It's sat there for a couple of years doing nothing. And you suddenly think, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to leave that there for another five years and do nothing and not experience life? In the way that is meaningful to me? Or am I just going to overcome the fears that I have of spending some of that money on investing in myself and my own well-being, mental health? And this year I have walked three national trails using some of those savings. And it has scared the living daylights out of me. I mean, it really has, because you feel, well, I have nothing. What if? something else goes wrong. And now I just think, well, as I said to you, I think a word I've always used to describe myself is tenacious. And I just think if something else happens, I'll just hang on in there until I can find a solution. So why not just invest in in myself and go out, jump in feet first, And do something that hopefully will inspire other people or might inspire other people. But even now, just talking about spending some of that money doing hiking, I can feel myself shaking, thinking, oh, my God, what if,
0: what if? Mm. But I'm so pleased that you did actually take some of that to go off and do those trails. I mean, I was following you throughout the summer and even up until just a couple of weeks ago when you finished your last walk and I could see how much you were benefiting from it. Did the fear subside whilst you were actually out on the trail? Oh, I didn't give it a thought Good. while I was out. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> not
1: a single <laughs> thought. <laughs> it's just when I get back home and my world feels very, very small. When I'm at home, I don't have a car. Travel is not easy using public transport. So I think when your world is small, you tend to I particularly focus on the negative or the focus on the more difficult things. Whereas when I'm outside and you're looking at this beautiful, spacious environment, you become spacious
0: yourself. And (laughs) I love that. I absolutely love that. When you're outside, you become spacious. And it fills your soul, doesn't it? But, it
1: really does. Yes. It feels like your whole body, is there's space to fill it up with wonderful things. Whereas when I'm at home, I feel small and withered and like there's no, I'm sitting here and I'm imagining (laughs) a funnel on the top of my head and trying to fill that funnel with good things. But when I'm at home, my body feels so small and that there's not enough space to put anything else Mm. in because I'm constantly worrying about how I'm going to get through the day, how I'm going to get through the next week. Whereas when I'm outside, That just goes and you can fill up with life, with what life actually is, Mm. where it's meaningful, where you are, where you really feel you are part of nature. You are nature. You're not separate from it, which I think is what our society forcing us into these small spaces does. It disconnects us from what we really are which is part of nature.
0: We are 100% that. And a lot of people don't see that because it's very much about the material things. We're in you know, yeah. a very commercial world, aren't we, sadly? Yes. But just then going back to how you feel out on a trail compared to how you feel when you're indoors. You, know, you said you're feeling very small, very withered and it sounds like you're very you're feeling very restricted when yes as when you're outside you're feeling free if you are planning so let's say you're indoors and yeah. you've been indoors for months but you suddenly have an idea to walk a trail but you know yeah. you can't do it for another say another 6 weeks if you are then focused on planning that trail does that change your mindset does that change how you how you frame your day and how you feel no, I plan nothing <laughs> I'm wonderful Hi <laughs> oh, um, Steffi I love you <laughs> I am terrible. The
1: thing for me is complete freedom You cannot plan for the unexpected. I think being completely free is about having no plans at all. The plans I have are the day I leave and the day I will come back how I'm going to travel. I work out roughly how many miles on average I will need to walk whilst I'm away. But then when I'm away, I might think "Hmm, I'm going to walk 25 miles today and I'll do 11 the next day because there's somewhere I'd like to spend some time. Or I might be hiking along and I'm wild camping and you might find a wonderful place where you'd like to stop that might be, I don't know, five miles short of where you were planning to get to that day. But because you have the flexibility, and you don't have the fixed plans, you can do that. So the planning for me, I think, when I'm at home is planning when I'm going to go, how I'm going to do it, it'll be like planning. And I'm really not very good at this, but planning the things that I need to take on my back that will sustain me, give me shelter over the time that I'm away. And I've only just really begun to think, right, well, next year I am going to do X, Y and Z and I'm going to try I guess you could say that the trouble with doing what I've done this summer is that once you've had that experience, you really want more. Yes. <laughs> and the only way I'm going to be able to do that is if I can afford the train fares. And so I'm trying my best to put a plan in place so that I can afford some train fares next year. <laughs> and that, that's where my planning
0: Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, And you're you're creative. You're creative in so many ways. So I'm sure you'll you'll work out something that will make that happen for you. As far as the anxiety goes, and I'm really sorry to hear that you have gone down into that deepest, darkest pit that has taken you to sorts of suicide. And I know this will potentially be a trigger for quite a few people. Yeah,
1: I hope. That my experiences will enable people to see that you can come through, even though in those darkest times you feel like there's never going to be a way out.
0: Do you have people, were you dealing with this alone?
1: I have a strong medical support. I mean, it's that, it gets that bad at mm. times. And I, know that I can always find and access that support when I need it. Whereas I think a lot of people going into realising that they need help, more help than friends or family can give, I think it's difficult to know where to go to find that. But Mm. I've always had access to that through my GP, through the mental health team psychiatrists therapists all of these things but I went through a particularly low period last year and I changed medication again which is a constant theme (laughs) I changed medication again earlier this year and it takes a few months for that to hit for that to work but I think that After so many decades of this kind of illness, I am only just beginning to realize the thought processes or or what's happening around me that indicate that I need to seek help before I get further down into that cycle. And that can be things like I might notice that all I'm eating is bread and pasta, so carbs or that I really don't feel like going outside, that's a big one for me. When I know that the thing that I know helps maintain mood at a reasonable level, when I feel that the motivation to do that, the energy to help myself in that way, I know that I need to go and find help. So I To go back to the beginning of this complete ramble, my hope is that if somebody feels that I'm talking about triggering things, that I am proof, I suppose, that you can come through these things again and again. And that's not to diminish how difficult it is, because it's really tough. It's really tough.
0: So you can get through it. I, I I get a sense that you're saying that you can get through it. It's not necessarily something that goes away. It's something that you are living with. Yeah. But you learn to recognise the, the warning signs and you now know what to do, where to get help, how to handle your yeah. your own mental health to ensure that you don't end up in the bottom of that pit. Again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... <laughs>
1: I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but I think that if you go through cycles of depression constantly throughout a life, then that's what you need to do. That's what I've learned through therapy is help to understand the changes around me, to notice them so that I can step in and help
0: myself. Good. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Wow. Yes, that is an important one, isn't it? And did you find that things became harder for you throughout your son's childhood years, both with your mental health and being able to get outside and do those things that you needed or wanted to do? Could you get out for walks? Could you handle things when your son was young? Because obviously, Having children is a challenge in its own right, but having yeah. a son with Asperger's is well, another layer of challenge as well.
1: He wasn't diagnosed until he was 17, so I just thought he was
0: a pain in the bum. Which <laughs> <laughs> is probably how, probably how half the teachers described him as well. Yeah, if that's, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: When you look back, and his father has Asperger's, um, Again, he he was diagnosed as an adult. But when you look back, you can see all the, you can see it there. I mean, it's Mm. as plain as day. But it wasn't really until, and I think this is quite typical of Asperger's and autism, it wasn't until my son went through big changes in his life. So changing schools, moving from school to Sixth form college and then on to university, it's when those things happen that the stress that you go through is huge because understanding what he's dealing with, it's like trying to understand an alien. <laughs> Try as you might, it's never that you can never completely put yourself in someone else's shoes. Whatever issues might be <laughs> whether it's chronic pain or illness or something like Asperger's I split with my son's dad when when my son was 10 and it was probably actually easier in some respects because we co-parented so my son was with me for a week and then he was with his dad for a week and we lived only 3 miles apart from each other but because I had that week That was when I was able to walk, get out on the coast and just recharge, I suppose, those batteries. But it it was never, I think that was definitely more walking for health rather than walking for a challenge and to fill my soul. I recognised that it does fill my soul. One of the things I, I do is a bit mad really but if i notice that my mood is dropping and i think right everybody tells you that walking is good for mental health i've got to go walking every single day and then i go into overdrive and i'm like walking 15 miles every day and it's just getting the balance right isn't it but yeah so when my son was younger i think walking was more about health Than I mean obviously it was pleasurable, but it was much more about maintaining an even keel through life rather than the challenges that I know I've always enjoyed, and I've always enjoyed doing them alone. I think actually I was thinking about this in prior to this chat with you. When I was young, I was a teenager, a young teenager, and I remember thinking. I'd ask someone to do something with me. I can't even remember what it was now, but they didn't want to do it. And I remember thinking, well, I have to do this on my own then, because if I don't do things on my own, there's no guarantee that somebody else has the same interests as me or wants to do the same things as me. So am I going to deny myself the things that might be pleasurable or fulfilling simply because I don't have somebody to hold my hand. And I think Mm. that that has been my mantra, I suppose, throughout my life, is you cannot expect somebody else to come along with you because you need someone to hold your hand. You have to jump in and be your own friend. That sort of manifests itself in the simplest of things. Like, I will go to the cinema on my own and I have friends who say... How do you do that? How on earth can you go on your own? I think oh, I go to the ticket booth. I buy a ticket. I go and sit in the dark. Can I watch a film? <laughs> <It's easy. laughs> <It's easy. laughs> or, you know, how can you go to a pub on your own? How can you go to a cafe on your own? It's just those little things that then enable you to think, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can go swimming on my own. I can do this on my own. Maybe I can do the next bigger thing on my own. Because oh, if, yes. if I want to go wild camping, which is what I love, absolutely love. And I did a fair bit of it on Dartmoor with my son and his dad. And I thought after we split up, well, does this stop now? Because I don't have somebody to do it with. And I thought, no, it damn well doesn't. You get out there and you do it on your own. And it's been the most liberating, (laughs) wonderful thing is to know that you're doing something that you love and you're not, nobody else is being affected by your needs.
0: To fulfil your own needs. But I remember how freeing, how liberating it was when I wild camped the first time. And then I just thought, why have I left it so long? This is absolutely amazing. Whatever was I frightened of? And what I love hearing you talk, Steffi, is, you know, you're somebody who clearly was resilient as a child, as a teenager. I mean, you had those foundations there already. And I know, actually, I guess a lot of children do, not all, but a lot of children do. But it does break down as we get older by culture or by the people we're with or just by chemical makeup in Mm. our body. But what I love so much hearing you talk is to hear the fact that you still have these struggles in one hand. You are somebody who is very open about struggling with their mental health. And yet in the other hand, you are fighting everything that's in this hand, in the right hand, You, you you are fighting it and you're saying, no, I have got to go and do this because if I don't do this, I might not get the chance to because other people may not want to come with me. Why should I offload my dreams and my ideas onto other people? This is my thing. And I yeah. and I love that those two actually work in harmony. They work in balance with one another because, you know, I come from a family where my mother suffers with yeah. mental health problems and has done for years and years. So I, I understand. Yeah. And I understand from her standpoint that she does retreat indoors and she, and she doesn't go out. She can't yeah. now because of her age. You know, she's, she is housebound, but for many, many years she wasn't able to go out because her head told her she couldn't go out. And this is what I am just so pleased that you have found that, that you have found a way to say, no, my head is actually bringing me down. I know I need to go out.
1: Yeah. It's just, I still go out with constraints. Um, My, as I said, my son has Severe anxiety. So when I'm hiking, I'm having to. I get text from. Him. <laughs> I think, oh, where are you? Where are you wild camping? Uh, he is never happier than when I go to a campsite, and I'm never. More miserable than when I'm on that
0: campsite. Yes, I I know that. (laughs) I know that
1: feeling. We have, we've worked out, I mean, he's 23, Mm -hmm. he is no longer a child, but he does live at home. So we have this agreement that I will let him know where I am so that he feels safe and secure, but I still have the freedom, I Mm -hmm. suppose, too. I have to say this though, sometimes I, did you pretend there was no reception? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is terrible. <laughs> because that's for your own mental health and your oh, own no. sanity. Sometimes you do need to switch off, don't you? And it's a gentle way of that's... giving him that message that, well, yeah, maybe mum's yeah, that... not in contact today, but I'm sure everything's okay. I have to say
1: that most of that will be during the day. If he contacts me during the day, I just think, no, this is absolutely my time. And we've agreed that I will tell you where I am when I pitch up my tent and Mm. I'm sticking to that. So
0: So there's something else I want to ask you about, Steffi, because I know you've had many challenges throughout your life. Mm. We've touched on those, but there's something that we haven't discussed yet. And something, certainly for midlife women, that, Mm -hmm. you know, as we go through from our 40s upwards, starts to become more apparent or we start hearing more or we're more aware. And that is the menopause. And we had a little conversation just before we started recording. And I actually, I wish, I wish we had recorded that because you told me your age. There was this deathly silence because I I did not know you were the age you said you were. And in my notes that I made last night about the sorts of things that I wanted to touch on with you, the menopause certainly wasn't one of them because I thought you were in your early 40s and, and nowhere near that yet. But actually, that was very dismissive of me. I was making assumptions. And even if you had been in your early 40s, from what you told me, this would have still counted. So first off, Steffi, would you mind sharing how old you are, please?
1: No, I am 56. And I think when you introduced me, I think you said that I planned to walk all our national trails by the time I'm 60. And I think that before you knew my age, you probably thought I had plenty of time. I
0: did. <laughs> I did, because I read through I read through your bio last night, thinking, "Oh wow, yeah, she's got years to do that." Then it's <laughs> like, no. oh, what a year!"
1: <laughs> no, it, it's creeping up incredibly quickly. I'm going to have to save a lot of money and do a lot of miles. How many, the how many years. trails?
0: How many trails? Is
1: it 18 national trails? There are 15. But there are some in Scotland, which if you look at the longest, the long distance walking association, that you can include some of those and you get some major certificate. But anyway, yes, I'm 56. But I went through the menopause early and I was 38 when I really noticed, I think, perimenopause.
0: That was when you were walking the Inca Trail then.
1: Yes. And I remember at the time I went to my GP. I had no idea what was happening to my body at the time. Um, But I went to my GP and she gave me some magic pills that, (laughs) that meant I wouldn't have a period whilst I was away. So that was fine. But (laughs) this is quite gross, but um, I discovered that I was in that phase of life, actually, whilst I was wild camping in, I think it was Dartmoor somewhere. People really don't talk about the details of menopause or perimenopause. But heavy bleeding is part and parcel of that. And I woke up completely out of the blue literally in a pool of blood that made me look like I was a murder victim.
0: Oh God. Oh <laughs> I, just my thought,
1: I just thought, this isn't right. This is something I need to speak to my GP about. So having no idea that it could be perimenopause, and I went to my GP, who I knew, and she was asking all these questions. Do you have hot flushes? I know, I've had maybe a couple, but you know, it's just hot in the office. Hmm. <laughs> do you have night sweats? Okay, yeah, but it's just hot under the duvet. <laughs> is, do you, is there um, a history of early menopause in your family? And, yeah, I think my nan went through early menopause. And she said, well, I'm really sorry. And I looked at her and I thought, sorry about what? What are you talking about? I mean, it really did not register at all. Oh my god. That she was telling me that this was what was happening. And I came away in absolute floods of tears. I and mean, I don't know why it was it felt so devastating at the time, but it really did. It was just I think possibly I'd wanted another child, even though I I was quite late for that. But the difficult thing came, and I I don't know if it's different now for people, because obviously this was quite a long time ago now. But I felt incredibly alone at that period of time because none of my friends or contemporaries were going through this. They had Mm. no idea what happens to you or how... Oh my God! I thought I think about my moods, my not just the physical things but your mental health and how it affects you. Could you sleep? No, I was mm. always awake. I sleep on towels, trying to soak up the <laughs> the sweats that you some people have now. I know talking to friends now, but that's not unusual, but at the time I had absolutely no idea there were no books everything that was written about menopause was aimed at people in their 50s and I had no I felt I had no connection to that they were talking about things like empty nest syndrome and I think
0: it, my child's five. <laughs> oh my gosh yes about yeah. so that, that puts it into perspective then doesn't yeah. it what? good grief And so how long did that period of perimenopause last for you, Steffi? I think I was
1: 42, 43, maybe when I had last period. So Mm. and it's quite common, apparently, that with early menopause, that the period of perimenopause can actually go on for 10 years. So on and off for a long period of time but I say luckily I feel quite lucky that didn't happen Mm, five years yeah sounds like yeah maybe five seven on and off it was I I tell you what once you're through the other side it's an absolute gift it really is Mm. I mean especially if you're an outdoors person you don't have to worry about dealing with any of that so when younger women or women my age going through it now talking about the difficulties of going on long distance hikes and how they're managing menstruation and and those I don't I hadn't had to deal with that for so long I've forgotten what, it's, what that's like but I don't ever recall it stopping me from getting outside and doing the things that I love to do outside, whether that's, I mean, I had a horrible experience while camping, but it didn't stop me going while camping. There's nothing in the world that would stop me doing Mm -hmm. that. You learn how unpredictable, it's a bit like camping or hiking, really. There are things that you cannot predict and you don't know what's going to happen. You just have to make the best preparations that you can it's like whether that's carrying everything that you might need just in case or knowing where campsites are just in case
0: and it's the level of planning I know you don't like planning but it's it's a level (laughs) it's a it's a level of planning isn't it Uh, to know that you've got that backup mitigating escape proof (laughs) yes yes (laughs) Yes. Yes. yeah well we've got probably two more things that I would like to ask you before we we wrap up and we're coming towards the end of time now. I am really interested to know, given all of the things that we've talked about, how do you give yourself encouragement during those hardest times? Do you have any methods of self-talk you know, what encouragement do you give yourself? What mantras? I mean, you have given us one mantra already, which was amazing. But is there is there something else that you talk to yourself about when you're going through those difficult times?
1: When things are really dark and difficult, it's the mantra I've already mentioned is you are tenacious. You have proved to yourself over and over again that you can get through this. You are tenacious. Remember that. Tell yourself that. And that's what I do. Actually, this I was thinking about this the other day. It's absolutely cracked me up when I heard it the first time. Janet Street Porter, of all people, I heard an interview with her a long time ago now. And she said, as soon as I wake up, as soon as my head comes off that pillow, I tell myself how brilliant I am because no other bloody bugger is going to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought at the time, that's so funny, but there is no way. I could ever tell myself I'm brilliant because I just don't believe it. So I think that for me, a mantra has to be something I absolutely believe about Mm. myself and that maybe I've just forgotten and need a reminder. And it is to remind myself that I will get through whatever is thrown at me. There is always a way through because I have proved it to myself already. So I know that that's a fact. And this is a bit daft as well. But when I'm in a a good space, you know, I think a lot of people are very negative, that they have a very negative body image. And I know that when my mood is low, I can't bear the sight of myself. And I walk down the streets, I catch a glimpse of myself in A reflection of a shop window, and I would just berate myself. Now, whenever I catch myself in a reflection somewhere, I smile and I just think I look at myself as if I'm meeting a friend or a stranger. I may not be able to talk to myself that way, but I will look at myself that way. And if somebody I knew was coming towards me, I would smile and say hello. And so, I always smile at myself. It's probably this weird random woman walking
0: down the street, grinning at herself. I think that is just <laughs> lovely. And actually, if I can be so forward as to push that a step further, if you saw a friend walking towards you, you know, wearing a beautiful dress or wearing some wonderful walking gear, even, you would, you would probably say to them, oh, hello. Oh, you look wonderful today. Oh, you look gorgeous or you are beautiful. And so, but yeah, so there you go. I have said it, Steffi. <laughs> but, you know, it is, it's that little voice on your shoulder, isn't it? And the, the more that the negative Nancy on one shoulder is telling you these things in your ear, I don't know it seeps into your psyche. And it so really somehow does. you have to find a way of having. Positive poly, I've just made digital two up <laughs> on the other side that is just going to feed you with good stuff. And if saying it doesn't work, then perhaps writing it down will, you know, maybe having mm. something that you write every day that tells you. I have you named,
1: how... I have named the negative person that I have felt pushes me up against the wall and shouts all this negative stuff so loudly that I believe it as Benito. As in Mussolini, Ooh. and now I tell Mussolini Benito that I'm not listening anymore. <laughs>
0: Just get lost! Get lost! Get la 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 la! Say what? <laughs>
1: like I'm not listening? But it is hard. It's very hard when you're used to having that voice in your head that is so intense and so loud. I found that the only way I can overcome it is to disassociate myself from it, to call it. It's like another person inside my head. I'm not having that person in my head. Why would anybody want Benito in my head? It's finding those coping strategies, those counteractions and finding what works for you and certainly grinning at myself <laughs> randomly in reflections. It's positive.
0: So the very last thing that I want to Mm. ask you, Steffi, is the question that I ask everybody else. Do you have a head right out moment that you could share with us? Something where you have stepped out of your comfort zone and done something that you never thought possible, you never thought you were capable of, but you did it and you benefited from it? Yes. In recent years, I was
1: going hiking. I think probably for a week on the Southwest Coast Path on the North Coast, sort of from Devon somewhere. And somebody I'd met and didn't know, but I'd met them, said, "Oh, I'd like to join you for a day for a walk." And I said, "Yeah, that would be great." Come along. And then he was actually based in Devon, and I met him, or he was on a course that I was doing, which was. I trained as a lowland leader and he was on the same course. And I said, yeah, come, come for a walk for a day. And I got this message saying I've rearranged my entire work week and I can now come for the week. And I was floored, absolutely (laughs) speechless, dumbstruck. I just did not know what to say or how to say no. (laughs) So this man came on this walk with me, wild camping, and the entire time I felt unbelievably passive aggressive, was hanging behind thinking, if only it was legal to push you over the cliff, you'd be gone. <laughs> <laughs> he talked about hiking on a Greek island somewhere and how much he loved this. And he just constantly talked about it, which meant I didn't, feel I had the time to enjoy where I was to be in the moment so when I got home from that and I recounted this story to friends they said well you definitely know how to say no now don't you and I thought this is my head right out moment I now know when to say no, and how to say no. And I know that that's possibly not the kind of moment that you were thinking of. But for me, that was a major, yes, I need to do this for myself. And I need to do it without compromise. And that was a big compromise. It was that moment of understanding, I don't walk with people on long distance hikes like
0: that, for this reason. And I let it happen because I didn't know how to say no. There's actually two sides to that, isn't there? Because you've learned that, yes, you need to be able to say no. And I think that will become another head right out moment at mm. the point where you are put in that position. Yeah, uh, that And that possibly hasn't happened yet. But yeah, the head right out moment that I see there is actually just going ahead and walking with this guy for a <laughs> week. When underneath it all, you're like, a, <laughs> I was oh, terrible. on
1: earth did you cope? <laughs> I am not an early mo- morning person at all. And when I am camping, it takes me ages to pack everything up because I feel like a complete zombie. Yeah. In, like just so slow and he sent me a text one morning saying wakey wakey <gasps> and i was absolutely grr. I was so livid and
0: i didn't say anything
1: i just kept silent and held all this anger, anger yeah and, uh, and I thought well, why should I be doing this I will never let that happen again <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it could> <laughs> I wonder I wonder if
0: he thought you were a moody what's it I don't know <laughs> <Which is laughs> quite likely quite like that's that's the polite the polite <laughs> version of moody what's it <laughs> Well, (laughs) Steffi, this has been an absolute treat. We've we've had a chance to catch up. Uh, You've shared a lot, a lot of wonderful experiences with us and with me that I haven't heard before. And I just hope that at some point soon here, we actually get to meet face to face and go on a little walk together. Sorry, not a long distance. Mm -hmm. Just a little.
1: Oh, I, I wouldn't mind you so at all I think it was just this
0: particular okay, person just, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to be passive-aggressive with me you know if I'm coming down to Cornwall and I'm coming down your way I will give you a ring I have your number now it? And I, I have your number call you too <laughs> When I'm
1: planning to walk the Pembrokeshire coast path, this is my plan for next year. So I will give you a call
0: there. That would be fabulous. (laughs) So Steffi, where can people find you on social media and online?
1: I have a website and blog called 10 Mile Hike, which is all one word and is a one zero. You can find me mostly on Instagram where it's 10 Mile Hike again, but unfortunately it had to be spelt T-E-N, 10 Mile Hike, because the number had actually gone. They are the main places that you can find me. But I've also just set up a Kofi, account and it's like a mini blog so I can post little bits and pieces there. Is that
0: where people can go and buy you a coffee if they want? Yes. To? <laughs> yes. yes. Brilliant. Yes. yes. Wow. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And I hope people go and check you out on Instagram. And do go and check out Steffi's website because she's completely overhauled it. It is fabulous. There is so much information Aww. on there. And she's got a beautiful way of writing. Uh, it Thank just flows. You. And I was chuffed to be included Aww. in her Woman Foot series as well. So I talk a little <laughs> bit about my walking experiences there too.
1: I, so well, It was a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure nerves have completely gone. (laughs) Yay!
0: Steffi Boone, thank you very
1: much. Thank you. Take care, Zoe.
0: Oh my word, what a raw and honest conversation that was with Steffi. Perfect for World Menopause Day two, which was the 18th of October. And as this goes live on the 20th of October, it's the same week. It's all about encouraging conversations surrounding menopause. I know a lot of thoughts may be generated regarding mental health too, from the conversations that Steffi and I had about her difficulties with mental health. And I hope that if you have any issues or any worries about a friend, that you'll take a moment to contact them, ask them how they are, see if there's anything you can do to help them. And perhaps if it's you, maybe you will seek help. You will look for support that you need if you don't already have that support. We are here for you. There's so many people out there that are here for you. And I hope that you will gain some reassurance from listening to Steffi's story. Now, I had a back-and-forth text conversation with Steffi later the same evening. We recorded this last week. And I'd like to share with you some of the text that I received from her because I think you'll find this funny. So here was the text. Oh, dear, Zoe, did I say I was 56? Um, I can't remember. But if I did, it was wishful thinking because I'm 57. So I replied no, really? That's so funny. I'll make a note of it in the end reflections. Am I allowed to put it down to post-menopausal brain? (laughs) And Steffi says, I did say I was 56 then. (laughs) What am I like? She then says, I was 56 when I hiked the South Downs Way, so it was definitely a 40-year anniversary. That bit was right. My birthday's in mid-August, so I was 56 when I hiked the Cotswold Way too. Anything after that I've obviously blanked out. She says, feel free to blame it on dyscalculia. No diagnosis, but if she had a test, Steffi says she'd be off the scale. Do you know, it's so easy to get numbers muddled up. I do it all the time. And Steffi says she gets her son's birth date muddled up. Uh, I get numbers muddled up too. It's just one of those things. So I'm not even sure I'm going to put that down to post-menopause. <laughs> but I'm sure a lot of us can relate to this. So Steffi is fifty-seven years old, and she didn't realise it. That is so funny. But oddly enough, I remember not being able to decide if I was forty-seven or forty-eight a few years back. So it's not just you, Steffi. Don't worry. Now I have had a head right out moment sent through to me by B, and this was a real joy for me to read. Ten Peak Challenge. I still remember my first mountain. We were on a girls' trip exploring Scotland when we decided it would be a good idea to hike Ben Nevis. I don't think I have ever complained so much. How could hiking up a hill be so hard? Once down, I vowed never to do it again. Luckily, I'd forgotten that promise when a few years later, I felt the need for a challenge. I don't like doing what everyone else does, so I decide to make my own. I know. I'll summit the 10 highest Munros in five days. How hard could it be? I should add that my total mountaineering experience was still only Ben Nevis in trainers, but not one to be put off by it. I spent the next five months getting fit, buying the right gear, learning to read a map, ish, and generally falling in love with hiking. I thought I was ready, but I wasn't. I was not prepared for my boots to fall apart on day three or to find myself in the middle of a plateau in whiteout conditions, having completely forgotten how to understand my compass. I did not expect for it to rain so hard that my phone would stop working from water damage or for the map to be whipped out of my hands by gale force winds, leaving me stranded with just my memory to keep me going. I had not expected my mind to fight me every step of the way. Stop! Turn around! it's too hard. You aren't going to make it. This challenge showed me that we are capable of what we set our minds to. That physical challenges are not just about physical ability, but more so the ability to convince your brain that you do have what it takes. That you can make it. It taught me that pain doesn't last forever. That it fades from our memories. I know I was in pain for much of it, but that's long forgotten. What I remember is the fear of having to cross the CMD Aret. that's Carn Moor Jaret, despite being scared of heights, and the exhilarating feeling when I got to the other side. I remember sitting on my final peak, crying tears of joy because I had made it despite everything that had gone wrong. I remember running as fast as I could towards the last gondola of the day to get me down from Onok Moor, having had to change my entire route due to bad weather. I made it to the gondola just in time, only for it to stop halfway down the mountain. It gently swung back and forth for half an hour before setting off again. I thought I'd been forgotten about. I knew the 10 peaks were going to be a physical challenge, but I never realised I would be putting my mental resilience to the test in that way. But it turns out we can achieve what we set our minds to. Indeed, we can be. Wow. Bea has sent me three photographs, which I'm going to put in the show notes. And oh, the last photo where she's looking up with this vast view that just falls away behind her. She's above the clouds and you can see a lock in the distance. And she just has that look of somebody who's completely energy spent, but deliriously happy. Yes, there's one of the pictures. She's standing. I'm assuming it's at the summit, with her arms raised and her poles dangling from her wrists, and it, it looks like it pretty much is a whiteout. So thank you, B, for sending that in. I really appreciate all of these head whiteout moments that people are sending in. It just allows us to share and celebrate even more how important it is for us to push ourselves. Push ourselves beyond what we think we're capable of doing, and that head right out moment has clearly made B a whole ton stronger than she thought she was. Now, if you'd like to go and follow B, she is on the socials as at b b e a underscore adventurous underscore. That's Instagram. So at b underscore adventurous underscore, and her blog is beadventurous.com. And that's actually be-adventurous.com. And she talks all about her travels and the things that she's been up to over the last few years. It's a really great blog. Okay, well, I have a little request today to ask if you lovely people who have been Following and listening to the show, if you could possibly rate and review and follow the podcast to help with the visibility of the show. Head right Out exceeded 500 downloads last week in 19 countries, which I'm delighted about. Now, I've been excitedly watching the map to see if we can get into the 20th country, but I've just been amazed at how quickly this has grown in the three weeks since I launched. So thank you all for listening and supporting me and thank you for all of your lovely messages and your posts, your likes, your shares and even the emojis. If it's just a few emojis, you know, I just know that you're there with me and they're keeping me fueled and believing that this is the right path and that Head Right Out is needed. It is needed to encourage you to head out of your comfort zone. And create an armour of resilience that will help keep your head right and healthy in the outdoors. Head right out hugs to you all. Mwah.